Is this on? That is working. All right. Today we're going to be turning to Jeremiah chapter 2. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Reading from Jeremiah chapter 2, beginning with the fourth verse. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me, and went after worthlessness and became worthless? They did not say, Where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through, where no man dwells. And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priest did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handled the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. Therefore, I will contend with you, declares the Lord, and with your children's children I will contend. I will cross to the coasts of Cyprus and see Or send a kadar and examine with care, see if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this, and be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Lord, today we pray that you would keep us ever faithful to you. We ask that you would do this by the power of your Holy Spirit through Jesus. And Lord, help us never to trade worthless idols for you, because you are, Lord, the best. You're the one who sent your one and only Son to take the worthlessness of human depravity so that we could have the best in Jesus. So Lord, today we ask that you would give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear your word today. I pray that you would humble our hearts before you in repentance, so that we would have the best, that we would have the best that has been provided through the cross of Jesus. Amen. Trading the best for the worthless. the title of the sermon, Trading the Best for the Worthless, and this is something that the people of Jerusalem and Judah did. They traded the best, the glory and the majesty and the truth of God. They traded God for the worthlessness of idols. 
Has a nation ever forsaken their God, but yet Israel, Judah, forsook their God and turned to the Baals? Have you ever made a bad trade? Have you ever traded something only to regret your decision later? Or maybe you've benefited from trading something. Some people struggle to make good trades, but other people are masters at trading. It's amazing what they can do. My brother-in-law is one of these people. It's amazing what he can trade and get on Craigslist. One such person was a 17-year-old who traded up from an iPhone to a Porsche. Hear the story from the Denver Post. Starting with an old cell phone that a friend gave him, 17-year-old Stephen Ortz of Glendora, California, used Craigslist to trade up 14 times over two years and eventually ended up with a Porsche Boxster. How did he do it? Although Ortz's story isn't the first time that we've seen Craigslist swapping, it's the first one we've seen that doesn't include any outside. You may have heard of of Kyle McDonald, who famously created a website to document his attempt to trade one red red paper clip for a house. It worked, but he also had built a fan base and publicity from his website. But Ortz, a 17-year-old high schooler, spent the better part of two years tied to his iPhone, skimming Craigslist and carefully picking out trades he knew he could benefit from. So starting with an old cell phone that was given to him free by a friend, Stephen used the barter section of Craigslist to move up to a better phone. He then traded the phone for an iPod Touch, the iPod Touch for a dirt bike, which was turned around several times for other better dirt bikes. And then McDonald, uh, then, then a MacBook Pro arrived, which opened the door to vehicles. The MacBook Pro was traded for a Toyota 4Runner, which was then bartered for a custom off-road golf cart. And keep in mind that Stephen was 15 at the time, so even if he'd kept the 4Runner, he couldn't drive it anywhere. The golf cart was then traded for a much more expensive dirt bike. The dirt bike was traded for a street bike, and then Stephen traded that for a series of boring cars, ending up with a sweet 1975 Ford Bronco. Had we been Stephen, we'd probably have stopped there, as it doesn't get much better than an old Ford Bronco. However, by the time he acquired the Bronco, he was of driving age. After enjoying it for a while, he decided to mix things up and go for a Porsche. It was actually a trade down, one that we can't really fault him for. Everyone needs to own a Porsche at least once in their life, right? The Bronco was probably worth more than 9,000 asking price on the 2,000 Boxster, but it'll probably pay dividends in the halls of his high school. The total number of trade transactions between the old cell phone and the Porsche Boxster, 14. The reality setting in and the obnoxious maintenance costs that go along with owning a Porsche are making the car hard to live with. Naturally, Stephen is turning his eye toward a new car. He's thinking about a Cadillac Escalade. So this kid from Glendora, California, made wise trades. 
the people of Judah in Jerusalem, they made the worst trade imaginable. They traded God, the best, for that which is absolutely worthless. And the Lord, speaking through his chosen prophet Jeremiah, put it this way. He said, what wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after what? Worthlessness. They went after worthlessness and became worthless. Jeremiah 2.5 and Jeremiah 2.8. The priest did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handled the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. Has a nation changed its gods? Jeremiah 2.11. Even though they are not gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. And then Jeremiah 2.13, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You see, Jeremiah, he doesn't mince words. Jeremiah doesn't attempt to be polite. Jeremiah says things the way they are. He speaks the truth. And he says idols are worthless. Idols are worthless. Another prophet, the prophet Isaiah, he didn't mince words either. He didn't try to make the idolaters feel warm and fuzzy and comfortable in their idolatry. Listen to how Isaiah Isaiah preached about the worthlessness of idols. And this is in the New Living Translation. This is what the Lord says, Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord of Heaven's armies. And I think I do have this on the screen, uh, or for the screen. He says, I am the first and the last. He says, there is no other God. I think that is the key, is that there is no other God. And there are so many things that we can turn into a God or, 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 or attempt to replace God with. But there is only one God, and he is the best. So he says, who is like me? Let him step forward and prove to you his power. Let him do as I have done since ancient times when I established a people and explained its future. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim my purpose for you long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any other God? No. There is no other rock. No one. Then he says, how foolish are those who manufacture idols. These prized objects are are really, what? Worthless. The people who worship idols don't know this. So they're all put to shame. 
Who but a fool would make his own God? This is where we're at as a society, is we're attempting to make our own God. We open the Bible and we judge God's Word. And we say, well, I don't like this part and I don't like that part. Or I don't like this about the God of the Bible. What are we doing but making our own God? So he says, who but a fool would make his own God an idol that cannot help him one bit? All who worship idols will be disgraced, along with all these craftsmen, mere humans, who claim they can make a God. They may all stand together, but they will stand in terror and shame. The blacksmith stands at his forge to make a sharp tool, pounding and shaping it with all his might. He works, his work makes him hungry and weak. It makes him thirsty and faint. Then a woodcarver measures a block of wood and he draws a pattern on it. He works with a chisel and a plane and carves it into a human figure. He gives it human beauty and puts it in a little shrine. He cuts down cedars. He selects the cypress and the oak. He plants the pine in the forest to be nourished by the rain. Then he uses part of the wood to make a fire. With it, he warms himself and bakes his bread. Then, yes, it is true, he takes the rest of it and makes himself a god to worship. He makes an idol and bows down in front of it. He burns part of the tree to roast his meat and to keep himself warm. He says, oh, that fire, it feels good. Then he takes what's left and makes his god a carved idol. He falls down in front of it, worshiping and saying to it, rescue me, he says. You are my god. Isaiah says, such stupidity and ignorance, their eyes are closed and they cannot see, their minds are shut and they cannot think. The person who made the idol never stops to reflect why it's, it's just a block of wood. I burned half of it for heat and used it to make my bread and roast my meat. How can the rest of it be a god? Should I bow down and worship a piece of wood? The poor, deluded fool feeds on ashes. He trusts something that can't help him, can't help him at all. Yet he cannot bring himself to ask, is this idol that I'm holding in my hand a lie? Word of the Lord. Some of us are tempted to believe that we don't struggle with idolatry anymore. Some of us are tempted to believe that we've finally moved past idolatry. And that was a sin back then, but we, we, we're, we're, we're not tempted with the sin of idolatry anymore. I'm going to say we've finally broken free of idolatry. We made it. We've arrived. We don't worship statues. Church, we should never be so arrogant to think for a second that we are free of the worship of idols. Did you know that anything or anyone can become your idol? 
anything can become an idol to you. So what are your idols? Each of us struggle with idolatry. Maybe a good test of idolatry in your life is this. What are you afraid of losing? What are you afraid of losing? In the scriptures, we are called to fear, to love, and to trust in God alone. So a good test of idolatry is this. What are you afraid of losing? Did you know that most of the things that we're afraid of losing are the most precious gifts from God? Now, I have anxiety in my life. And much of the anxiety that I experience has to do with the the well-being and the welfare of my family. Sometimes thoughts run through my mind, intrusive thoughts run through my mind about something terrible happening to my wife or to one of my kids. I think it's natural. I think that all of us experience that to some extent. But to help control my anxiety, I I need to remind myself that those I fear losing aren't mine. They don't belong to me. They belong to God. And I need to trust that God will take better care of them than I ever will be able to take care of them myself. So what or who do you fear losing the most? Others fear losing things that that aren't that great. I've met people that have feared losing alcohol or drugs. They're afraid to stop drinking because they're afraid of what they're going to have to face when they're sober. What are you afraid of losing? Many of the things that we fear losing are the best gifts from God. Other things that we fear Losing really aren't that great. Other things can be idols because they make us look better in front of other people. Money, success, education, the possession of things. Bottom line, we could keep going and going. Bottom line, anything that you fear losing so much that you're not willing to give it to God is probably an idol in your life. If you are unwilling to surrender it to God, and to say, God, this isn't mine, this is yours, and God, you're number one, these things all come second. And that thing is probably... An idol. 
And again, it's not necessarily the thing or the person that's bad. It's the inordinate time and devotion and sense of possession of that person or thing that makes it an idol. You're, you fear losing that thing. You, you trust in that thing and you're, you're not willing to give it to God because that thing has become an idol in your life. You find your identity, your meaning, and your security in that thing. And although so many things that we make into idols are good, it all ends up as worthless, worthless in the end. Why? Because in the end we realize that the thing that we made into an idol was never able to deliver what God alone promises to give us. There is no one, there is nothing in this world that can deliver what God promises to deliver to you. He's number one. He's the best. So don't trade the worthless, the worthless for the best. Now my family's not worthless. But when I make them my idol, that's a worthless way to live. The the best way to live is for me to give my family to God and to lead my family towards God. The best thing for my family is for me to make God number 1. To make my family my idol is really to do the worst for my family. So I struggle with idolatry. But God is gracious and merciful to me. He loves me. He loves you. And he's teaching me. And he's teaching you to fear, to love, and to trust in him. Fear, love, and trust in the Lord. How many of you remember that from confirmation class? Fear, love, and trust the Lord over and over and over again. To fear, love, and trust an idol is like forsaking, uh, Jeremiah says, it's like forsaking the spring of living water. And digging a cistern, if you don't know what a cistern is, Many places still have cisterns. It's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a place that, that holds water. It's like a big water tank. Forsaking the spring of living water and digging a cistern that cannot hold water. Idols are cisterns that cannot hold water. We forsake a spring and never ending flow, this, this precious uh, water of grace and love and mercy and strength and power from God, we forsake that for a cistern, a sandbox, a cistern that can't hold water, it's just full of dust and sand. So I ask you today, is, is your soul or is your heart thirsty? 
today? Are you thirsty today? I think we're, we are living in a thirsty world. People are thirsting for something better. Thirsting for something more. Here's the truth. Here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus is your living water. He is that fountain that never runs dry. One day in the temple in Jerusalem, Jesus stood and he said with a loud voice, Let everyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Come to me, Jesus says, and drink. He said to the woman at the well that he has living water. That if a person drinks of this living water, that they will never thirst again. Is your soul thirsty? Is your heart thirsty? Today there is only one source. There is only one place to find this fountain of living water. It's, it's in Jesus So how is it that a person like me or a person like you or a person within our community can have our hearts turned from worthless idols to the best to the spring of living water? Well, let me tell you, it's not through your own efforts, not through your good works, not through your obedience to the Ten Commandments. Attempt to try to earn this living water through your own efforts, through your own good deeds, through your own good works, and you'll only find yourself thirstier. Because attempting to to receive this living water in your own effort is another form of idolatry. It's attempting to do for yourself something that only God can do. It's attempting to receive for yourself, something that only God can give. We drink this living water through the power of the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. That is living water. You open up the Bible. And you read about Jesus. You read the good promises of God. It's living water that flows from heaven to us to quench our thirsty heart. So don't trade the best for that which is worthless. You have have the best. You have it today. It is yours. It's interesting, there's a story of a, of a man, reported in the news again, who, who died of thirst in the Utah wilderness. He died of thirst while be, being surrounded by water. You have the water. You have Christ. He's in the Word. He's in your heart. And He says He'll never leave you nor forsake you. How is this possible? 
How is it possible for idolaters like me and you? How is it possible for idolaters like the people of Jerusalem and Judea and of the northern kingdom of Israel? How is it possible? Well, at the, at the heart of the gospel is this, and, and I want you to listen to this. At the heart of the gospel is God trading his best for our worst. That's at the heart of the gospel. God trading his best for our worst. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, this truth is spoken beautifully. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sakes, he, and that he, that pronoun is God the Father, for our sakes, he made him, and that, per- personal pro- that pronoun is, is Christ, the Son of God. For our sakes, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus was sent by the Father to go to the cross. And upon the cross, he he took your sin, he took my sin, he took the sin of humanity upon himself, he made our sin his. In exchange for taking our sin, he gives us his righteousness. So today you are forgiven. But not only are you forgiven, not only have all your sins been washed away, he has credited to your account the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So when God sees you, he doesn't see your sin of idolatry. He doesn't see all of the worthless things that you have done, but he sees in you the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Christ. Why, for our sake, God the Father made Jesus Christ to be sin. He didn't know any sin. He never committed one sin. Jesus is the, is the pure and spotless Lamb of God. But he did it so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What good news. God gave his best for you. He exchanged his best for our sin. So he sacrificed his life so that you can drink freely from the fountain of grace. And that fountain is open, it's free, it continually flows, and it's free to you. Why? Because Jesus paid the price. By his death, he paid the price for you. John 19, 28 through 30. Beautifully illustrated here. 
After this, Jesus, this is upon the cross, as Jesus is hanging on the cross. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, he said, to fulfill the scripture, what did he say? He said, I thirst. I thirst. Jesus suffered every consequence of the cross so that you can have the best. Verse 28 Um, Actually, go back to 29, I'm sorry. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And that sour wine, it seems like something cruel, but it was actually a mixture. It was an anesthetic. Jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put it up to his mouth. Next verse. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said what? It is finished. And he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. It's finished. Sins are forgiven, credited with the righteousness of Christ. The fountain of living water is available for you. And those of us who know the account of the cross, we know that three days later, the tomb opened up. And Jesus came out of the tomb, alive, victorious over sin, victorious over the devil, victorious over death itself. And so today there's living water. We uh, we are called by the gospel to turn from those things which are worthless. And there is living water today. My prayer for you, you've probably been been drinking of this living water since before you can remember. What a great thing. But some have never tasted. Some have never known this living water. Today is the day when you can say, Lord, I turn from the worthlessness of idols. I turn from those things which which can never deliver what they, they say they'll deliver. And today you can drink freely. That's simply through trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in him. Trust in him. Trust in what he did for you upon the cross. And be one who receives that living water. Let us bow our heads today and pray. Oh Lord, we are so grateful. you. Lord, you gave your best for us. And you also took our worthlessness, the sin of humanity upon yourself. And so, Lord, I pray that right now this congregation would experience the refreshing power of the gospel in their hearts and in their minds. Lord, I pray right now that you would set hearts and minds at peace in you. I pray now that you would deliver your people from whatever is holding them down or whatever is holding them back or whatever idol they're distracted by. Deliver this congregation. Deliver me from those things. And help us to taste this living water that you have given so freely. Help us to trade today as we sing this song. Help us to trade our idols, 
our sorrows, our sins, our, the stress, the anxiety, whatever garbage we're experiencing. Lord, as we sing this song, may we trade those things for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please?